Good morning. We're in James 5. We're going to take the first half this morning and then next week wrap up our study in James at our celebration, a little low-key celebration, and we're going to talk next week about prayer. But would you stand? We'd like to stand in honor of the Word of God. This is God's Word to us. When we read it, we hear it. It's actually God speaking uh, every time. And so we're sure of that. We know that. And his, his Word that He's given to us, preserved for us, is for our benefit. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. This is the truth. It's the way. It's the life. And so we just love to give ourselves to it every Sunday when we get together, in fact, in all of our times of gathering. So in James chapter 5, I'm going to read the first 12 verses that we'll look at this morning. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Now, when James is writing, you're going, man, this guy is like, he nails you all the time. Your gold and silver are corroded. And their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And, their cry, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Therefore, be patient, turning his audience, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. So, Lord, we... We need you right now by your Holy Spirit to open our hearts, our minds, Lord, that we might be willing to listen, listen to hear, but not only hear, but then to respond to you as the good God, merciful God, compassionate God, who sent your Son to die on a cross that our sins might be forgiven. We might have a place to come access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So, Lord, we love you. We're praying now that you would speak to our hearts and give us ears to hear, that we might walk out of this room today, not just with some frivolous, but Lord, something of substance that spoke to us. And I pray, God, give us ears to hear that we might take and do it. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So our pastors <laughs> did a, a great job teaching these last few weeks, and I've enjoyed the, the break on that. I'm thankful. Next week, again, we'll have our little celebration of 30 years. But this morning, as we get into this chapter, I want to give you, really, I'm going to stack together two outlines, and we'll come back to this slide of this chapter. Number, this first outline, we must wait patiently under the cruelty of injustice. How relevant is that? 
We must wait patiently until the coming of the Lord. And we must wait patiently and pray, period, pray, period, pray. And we'll get that next week. Second outline, God is not blind, God is not deaf, and God is not done. Amen? He is not blind. He sees all corruption. He is not deaf. He hears all cries. And he is not done. His coming is at hand. And I would say to that, come quickly, Lord Jesus. So we must wait patiently under the cruelty of injustice. God is not blind. He sees all corruption. James says, come now, you rich. Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Verse 1. James confronts the ungodly rich and encourages the saints to be patient. He is never saying sin, that being rich is a sin. The Bible doesn't say that. A lot of very wealthy people in the Bible. What James is rebuking is the rich for their self-centered and oppressive lifestyles. James calls three witnesses to testify against them. Now, before we get into them, I'd like to share with you from a book that I read in our recent, my wife and I went down to Florida to see our son who's in the Navy. The book is called The Message of the Twelve. It's by two guys, Fuhr and Yates. It fits so well with this passage before us in James. Now, the twelve are not speaking of the apostles, but of the minor prophets. So let me let, read along with me. In the preface, quote, we offer this work on the minor prophets with the conviction that the message of these prophets is especially relevant for the church in the turbulent times in which we live. The minor prophets offer a compelling portrayal of God through vivid and dramatic metaphors. In judgment, the God of Israel is like a fierce warrior, a roaring lion, a raging whirlwind, and a consuming fire. And yet the same prophets, the minor prophets, and really all the prophets, 17 of them in the Bible books, who employ these frightening images also assure us that in his work of salvation, the Lord is faithful, a faithful husband, a loving father, a healer who restores, and a compassionate shepherd, unquote. Would you say amen to that? So this is God. This is, we don't want to fool ourselves and be deceived about who God is. This is who he is. David Wells, who wrote a book called God in the Wasteland, The Reality of Truth in a World of Fading Dreams. I love the title. He says this, quote, It is one of the defining marks of our time that God is now weightless. Those who assure the pollsters of their belief in God's existence may nonetheless consider him less than interested less interesting than television. His commands, less authoritative than their appetites for affluence and influence. His judgments, no more awe-inspiring than the evening news, and his truth, less compelling than the advertisers, and I would say the media, sweet fog of flattery and lies, unquote. Now back to this book, The Message of the Twelve. He goes on, quote, the prophets remind us that God cannot be pushed to the margins of our lives or trivialized and manipulated into fulfilling our personal agendas. The prophets restore a vision of God's immensity and challenge us to worship and revere him 
above all else, unquote. So James says, come now, you rich. Now, in the same book, he continues, wealth is a relative thing. The average middle-class American enjoys comforts that only kings and emperors enjoyed in the ancient world. Amos, one of the minor prophets, preached in an environment of unparalleled prosperity for the upper class of Israel, though the vast majority of people still lived in poverty and oppression. The ruling class had come to see their blessing as a sign of God's favor, yet they were blind to the suffering of the population they suppressed. Moreover, they were blind to the coming wrath of God. What seemed nearly impossible during the reign of Jeroboam II, which was a very prosperous time in the nation of Israel's history, the destruction of the northern kingdom of Israel, that that seemed impossible. That's never going to happen. Was actually only decades away. It did happen. It did happen. So a deck, unquote. So a deck, a a day of reckoning was and is coming, is what James is saying. Your miseries that are coming upon you. Now, one of my prayers is in Proverbs chapter 30. It says this Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Would you say amen? Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food a lot. Let me be satisfied. Let me be content with what you've given to me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. That's my prayer. Paul talks to Timothy about this. We'll get this in a moment. So God is not blind. He sees all corruption. James calls three witnesses to testify against them. The witness number one is the wealth they kept heaping up. The wealth they kept heaping up. James 2, your riches are corrupted. And your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded. And their corrosion, which is the same word used for poison, will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. They had more than they could ever possibly want and yet did nothing to help. In fact, continued to oppress and draw out of those who had nothing. One word. They were corrupt. Dishonest, immoral crooks. I note this. 17 times in these, just these first 16 verses, you have these pronouns, you 10 times and yours 7 times. What you heaped up for yourselves in riches was heaped up in corruption. What you put in, on in fine apparel was filthy. It was tattered and ragged with corruption. You are poisoned by your riches, and they will prove deadly. Your riches and treasures will testify against you at your judgment. What you heaped up will be in judgment, heaped up as fuel for the fire. Where yours will be weeping and howling and misery. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But God sees all corruption. He is not blind. God is also not deaf. He hears all cries. Look at verse 4. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who, who 
mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cry of the laborers reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. God hears all cries, all the oppression that's going on, all the bad things they've reached. See, the Lord of Sabbath is the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of armies. In other words, you're messing around with God Almighty, and friend, you really don't want to do that. God sees. God hears. God knows and delivers on every one of his promises. Exodus chapter 3. The Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows and I have come to deliver them. I'll tell you, it's a difficult thing to bear up under some of the things that we're seeing today. But God is not deaf. He hears all cries. When I had a little cabinet business, which I had for several years, one of the largest jobs I ever did was a huge job that I did for a man who had a very ornate house complete with a built-in swimming pool. After I had it mostly completed and installed, he tells me that he isn't going to pay me what he owed me. I can tell you this nice Christian man was fighting mad. I had no recourse except that I took some of the doors off of the cabinets. It gives me great comfort to know that God heard my cries. (laughs) And he's going to get them. I'm kidding. Listen, Jeremiah said this. Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by injustice, who uses his neighbor's service without wages and gives him nothing for his work. God sees. God hears. Witness number two are the wages they kept back, their fraud. Witness number three is the way they keep living it up. It's their self-indulgence. Verse five, you have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have... Did you hear what I said? <laughs> I don't know where I left off. But, uh, so you have witness number two is the wages they kept back. Number three is the way they keep living it up. These are the things that he's talking about witnessing. You've led on the earth in pleasure and luxury. Verse five, you fatten your hearts in the day of slaughter. You've condemned, you've murdered the just, and he does not resist you. So in pleasure, which means a life of extravagant, unrestrained self-indulgence at the expense of the just. Luxury means a soft life, leading a soft life. And thinking money bought them comfort and security. Now in Proverbs we read this. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. The rich man's wealth is his strong city. And like a high wall in his own existence, his own esteem. Before destruction the heart of man is haughty and before honor is humility. See there's true and false security. The very thing they trust in for security will prove to be useless in protecting them from the bigger problem, the judgment of God. Above all of these things is God. He sees all of these things. Only the blood of Jesus can save. Would you say amen? Only the blood of Jesus can satisfy the judgment of God against sin. So pride is always the problem. 
Pride is the great divide. Pride is what keeps someone from coming and bowing the knee before God and confessing their sin. When a, fir- when a person refuses to heed God's warnings, it becomes a problem. So Jesus taught three parables concerning a certain rich man that are warnings. It's important to be reminded that having riches, having money, or material things are not in and of themselves wrong or sinful. Listen, all things come from God. Would you say amen? He wants to bless our lives. All things come from him, from his hand. The question is, what good do I do with all the good things my good God has given me? Let me say that again. What do I do with all the good things my God has given me? 1 Timothy puts it this way. Youthless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Paul tells Timothy, from such withdraw yourself. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. We have nothing in this world, certainly we can take nothing out. Verse 9, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money, that's the problem. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. He goes on in verse 17. So he says, command those who are rich not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches. Lost my place. But in the living God, look at this, who gives us richly all things to enjoy, let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may they hold on eternal life. You see, what life is it that we're living? Is it the eternal life that understands all the material things of this world cannot satisfy the soul? But oh, how they can enrich the soul if given to God to do what he wants to with them. First John puts it this way, do not love the world or the things that are in the world, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, notice, the lust of the flesh, that's our passions. The lust of the eyes, that's our possessions. And the pride of life, that's our position, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, but notice, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. A worldly mindset and heart attraction will keep you from doing the will of God. Jesus taught three parables concerning a certain rich, he taught three parables concerning a certain rich man that are warnings. Now, of significant focus is all of the good in these warnings. So what good do I do with all the good things my God has given? I, I should say my good God has given to me. Parable number one. This is a warning against covetousness. What are you doing with your many goods? Now, I'm just going to read these. They're all these parables. I hope you'll go back and visit them again. But Luke chapter 12, Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, 
Then he spoke a parable to them. The ground of a certain rich man, each of these has a, is directed toward a certain rich man, yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is, so is he who lays up treasure, notice, for himself and is not rich towards God. Listen, riches cannot satisfy or secure. All the riches of this world will not satisfy and can, in fact, make a fool of otherwise very successful people. When the securing of their gold becomes more important than the securing of their soul. Which is it? Jesus said, what does it profit if a man, uh, to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? It's amazing. Proverbs says this, do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding cease. ESV puts it this way, be discerning enough to stop, to desist. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. How many of you have found that to be so true? Money talks, they say. Someone said, if money talks, all it ever says is, Goodbye. So Jesus said, verse 21, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Takes us to parable number two of a certain rich man. In Luke chapter 16, here's a warning against unfaithful stewardship in the things that are God's. Who are you serving with his goods? Luke 16. Jesus said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man, there he is again, who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods, the rich man's goods. So he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. He's firing him. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I am ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? So he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly or wisely. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. So why would this unjust, unfaithful steward be commended by his master who fired him? Why? Listen. Because he used his present position to set himself up for what he knew was coming. Are you doing that? He did not commend him for what he did, but for the wisdom in why he did it. He used his present position to set himself up for the inevitable future. 
Are you doing that? So Jesus continues in verse 9. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, the much lesser value, who will commit to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No, here's the key. No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot, that's the point, you cannot serve God and material riches. Mammon. Listen, it all belongs to God. This is, that, that is the very essence of every stewardship responsibility. It all belongs to God. We will give an account to him. They come from him. So the question to me is, am I faithful to God with what he's given to me? What is entrusted to me? Am I faithful to him? Do I love God and serve him because of that? Am I loyal to God with what he's given to me as a stewardship to bless other people? You see, it's not a matter of degree. It's either or else. Either you love, be loyal, or you'll not be faithful and hate. So you can use your present position. I can use my present position to set myself up with temporary riches for a temporary future. But what about the true riches and what about our eternal destiny? All of a sudden, all the gold in the world loses its supposed value if it's keeping me from what is much more valuable, and that is eternal destiny in front of me. The third parable is a warning to repent. How are you caring for others with your good things? How are you doing that? Luke chapter 16. Again, there was a certain man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously, notice, every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. Now, I believe this is a pulling the curtains behind reality. There's a name in this parable. It's, it's, it's a parable that has a name. Lazarus, full of sores, was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from who are, the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abram afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abram, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your, notice, good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, 
I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, God's word, God's truth, neither will they be persuaded the one rise from the dead, pointing to his own resurrection. So the question is, how are you faring every day? I would say for most of us in all this room, sumptuously. Very good. What is going to be remembered of your lifetime, of my lifetime? I would say for most of us, all of us, that we received our good things. And so verse 25 to the end says, what will be the but now when every day of your lifetime is over? It's sobering, my brothers and sisters in the Lord. It's sobering. What are you doing with your many goods? You see, are they all for you only? Or are you saying, God's given these to me. What would you have me to do? What, who are you serving with his goods? They're not mine. They're not yours. They're his that's given to us to steward. See, all belong to God. We need this perspective so much to be renewed, I think, on a daily basis. These things that, God, that I have in my life are because God's blessed me. God's given them to me. Yes, I worked hard, earned them, and God understands that. And the labor, the wages, we're, we're, we're worthy of our wages for sure. But as we're laboring, as we're working, it's God who gives us all things to enjoy. And so the question then, the final one is, how are you caring for others with your good things. In other words, there's going to be an accounting to God. So we must wait patiently under the cruelty of injustice. We must wait patiently until the coming Lord, and we must wait patiently and pray, period, pray, period, pray, period. And these truths cause us to come to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find help in the time of need. we got to come to God and say, Lord, forgive me for some of these things. Cleanse me, wash me. God is not blind, God is not deaf, and God is not done. Would you say amen to that? His, his coming is at hand. God, James gives three examples to help us keep our focus. The first example is the farmer, waiting patiently for others to sprout up. I love it. Therefore, be patient, brethren, verse 7, until the coming of the Lord. See how the, Lord, the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. There, you also be patient. He says, patience, patience, patience. How many of you have great patience? Oh, brother. Oh, sister. Be there it is. Establish your hearts. It's a heart matter. It's a thing that we need the Holy Spirit to massage the heart, to bring us to repentance, to grant us the cleansing and the grace, to receive from God the things that we need so that we can continue to be patient until he comes. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. God is not done. His coming is at hand. Three examples for us to keep our focus. The first is the farmer 
waiting patiently for others to sprout up. From the Dictionary of Bible Imagery, it says, quote, In an agrarian world prone to drought and dependent on seasonal rain, the ancient Israelites were very much aware of seasonal patterns. During the rainy season, which October through April, it was important that the early rains came to allow the seeds to germinate, and the latter rains were important to bring the crops to maturity prior to harvest, unquote. So he's saying the early and latter rain. The early rains came soon after the grain was sown. The latter rains came as the grain was maturing. Both were necessary for a successful crop. The farmer waited for both. After the labor was done, then the rain must come. And the farmer would do his labor and pray and pray. The Lord is waiting. Listen to this. It's beautiful. The Lord is waiting for the precious fruit of the souls of sinners saved through the seed of the gospel. That's what God's waiting for. He's waiting for them. And I say, Lord, would you hurry up? (laughs) A last harvest on earth is coming. Revelation 14, Jeremiah 51, Joel chapter 3, and so on and so on. Jesus, Matthew chapter 13. One final reaping before Jesus comes to execute judgment on the earth and, that, and then reign and prosper and righteous over his kingdom on earth forever and ever. That's coming. But one last harvest is coming. You can read about it in Revelation 14 to begin. Now, so we are waiting patiently for others to respond to the gospel. What's our job? Planting and watering the seed of the gospel. Planting and watering. Planting and watering. And as Paul told the Corinthians, it's God who gives the increase. God's the one who saves. God's the one who will reap the the final harvest. Example number two, the prophets who are waiting patiently. I love this. Waiting patiently for us to grow up. Can I hear an amen? Waiting patiently for us to grow up. There's others to sprout up and be saved, but for us to grow up. Notice what he says. Do not grumble against one another, brother. Oh, we need to hear that every day. Lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. The grumbling means groaning and, and, and means it, it, it has the, the understanding of resentment, bitterness. He's saying, hey, church, hey, God's people, hey, believers, Don't grumble against one another, brethren. Grumbling against one another is serious stuff in God's eyes. It's the heart issues that God wants to change and deal with in how we love each other and care for each other and support each other and have each other's backs. James says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do not come from your own desires for pleasure that war in your members. You fight and do not have. You war. And and, and James hits this in chapter 4. We saw it last week. He confronted the bad attitudes that are among us as believers, and we should expect that they are there because we have a sinful, fallen nature, and we're self-centered apart from the Holy Spirit, God's salvation, and God's sanctification to make us more and more like Jesus. Would you say amen? We need him to work in our hearts to change our attitudes. Last week, we talked about arguing and fighting among us. We talked about gossip and slander among us. We talked about boasting and bragging among us. God help us 
in our prayers. We cannot build one another up if we are tearing one another down. We can't do it. So I appeal to you as I appeal to my own heart, repent. Stop doing this. The one and only legitimate and just judge is God. Let's leave it to him and love one another as he's called us to do. Verse 10, my brethren, take the prophets. Again, this example number two, who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. It brings to mind for me the prophet Jeremiah. He was speaking to God's own people. And because he was telling them the truth, he was mistreated very unjustly. He suffered and endured it, but with much patience. From the king to the slave in those times, they hated what Jeremiah had to say to them, even though it was what God was saying. It is difficult sometimes to hear what the Lord is saying. I believe even this message has some difficulty to it, to hear the truth. But Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you, what, free. God's not trying to to ruin our party. He's trying to set us free by the truth in how he's created us and designed us to love him first and love others. And to give our lives as, as an example and as a, as a means by which he can bless other people's lives. He can bring them to the point of knowing him. And the prophets who spoke Jeremiah. Now, obviously, Jesus is the ultimate example of suffering at the hands of his own people for what he said. The Messiah came into the world and suffered. First Peter tells us, who when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Thank you, Jesus. And that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you are healed. Now, this has a lot of controversy sometimes to it about healing and all that. We'll talk about it a little bit next week. But notice, by whose stripes you are How? Here's how. Verse 25. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let me say to you, how many of you have found the overseer and the keeper of our souls is Jesus. Repentance is a good thing. Repentance is what brings us to that place of healing and wholeness. And we've returned to him. That's the healing, returning to the one who can heal us. And that is Jesus from all of our sin and all of our self-sin. Example number three is Job. And we're going to close with this example. Waiting patiently for God to show up. Can you say amen? We have the farmer waiting patiently for others to sprout up. We have the prophets waiting patient for us to grow up. This final one, Job waiting patient for God to show up. And I say, Lord, come quickly. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and the end intended by the Lord. This is what God intends. That the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Have you found a deeper place, a deeper reservoir in your heart, in God's compassion and mercy toward you. Job is an incredible example of perseverance in suffering. We studied his book, the book of Job a little while ago. 
it came upon him, his suffering, very dramatically and suddenly. In just days, Job lost his family, his wealth, and all of his health. How would you react when that, if that happens to you? What would your response be? Listen to what Job said. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. 2.10. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Though he slay me, Job said, yet will I trust him. Job 19, I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth. And I say, amen. This is Job. We count them. You've heard the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. He's very compassionate and merciful. Job learned that the Lord is exactly that, very compassionate and merciful, though he had a season there that was not very fun. But above all, my brethren, verse 12, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. I am thinking that James is still thinking about Job in this verse. Job was the real deal with God, and God knew Job as the real deal with him. In Job chapter uh, 1, verse 8, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. That's God boasting about his servant Job. Simply, listen, here's for me the application. Simply be a person of my word. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Be true to God, as Job was. Walk humbly with God. Don't add to your angst trying to convince people of your integrity. God knows. As Job was trying to understand his suffering, he had some intense rounds of, of debate with his miserable comforters, as he called them. Job never changed the opinions of any of them. Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, and a young buck named Elihu. Never did. And then God showed up and cleared the air. First, he talks to Job. And then his friends. And so we read. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? He's calling Job to account. Job chapter 40. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed no further. So with Job, it's waiting patiently for God to show up, and God did show up, and this is what happened. Verse four, chapter 42, then Job answered the Lord, notice, and said, I know that you can do everything, that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Therefore, verse 6, I abhor myself, and here it is, and repent in dust and ashes. Verse, chapter 42, verse 7, and so it was. 
after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Elihu the Temanite, my wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams. Go to my servant Job and offer up yourselves as a burnt offering. Offer up for yourselves as a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I'll accept him lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar went and did as the Lord commanded them. The Lord accepted Job, and the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginnings. God is not done. And here with Job, we see this, this example of how to keep our focus. He was waiting patiently for God to show up. And sometimes it's difficult. That waiting period is difficult for us for God to show up. But Job was the real deal with God. He was honest. He just said it like it was. He tried to work through it himself and with much angst. But then God showed up and cleared the air, and that's what's going to happen. God's going to show up. He's going to clear the air. Lots of things that we have to wrestle through. But we must be waiting patiently under the cruelty of injustice. We must be waiting patiently until the coming of the Lord. We must be waiting patiently and pray, period. Pray, period. Pray. God is not blind. He sees all corruption. God is not deaf. He hears all cries. God is not done. His coming is at hand. And we ourselves are those who he's coming for who know Christ through the gospel. So I want to close our time at the Lord's table in communion this morning. We haven't done this for a while. We have separate little packs. So those could, could go back and get that ready. And when I think about communion in the Lord's table, this is a reminder of what Jesus did for us. It's for sinners saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And as often as we take the cup and drink the cup, we do show the Lord's death until he comes. So in communion, we're looking back on what Jesus accomplished on the cross for our sins. And as we look back, we realize there was something completed there of eternal significance. That on that cross, my Savior died. His blood was shed for me. And as I look at Jesus Christ, I understand I'm saved by him. And all of my sin and all of my debt was paid by him on the cross. And so as we end today, I think it's really important that we take our sins, bring them to the cross once again in confession and faith, and there Jesus' blood is sufficient to forgive all of them. At the same time, as we're taking communion, the communion table is not for the unbeliever. It's not for the person who has not yet come to Christ to be forgiven and saved. Because Paul said to the Corinthians, if you take the cup in an unworthy manner, if you take the cup not having been saved, what you're doing is you're acknowledging that Jesus' blood was shed for the salvation and forgiveness of all sin for all time. But in receiving that, it must come through repentance and faith and putting your faith in Christ. And that's where that blood then becomes applied to your life. And so if you've not yet done that, 
and you're acknowledging that the blood of Jesus Christ and the cross and in communion, we're acknowledging his shed blood for our sin, then you're actually drinking, Paul said, damnation to yourself. So we're going to ask you to let it pass you by if that's you this morning. And you who are watching with us, I hope you'll just be taking to heart the things of the communion table. And Paul wrote this in Corinthians. I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night which he was betrayed, it was all a plan of God, took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Blood of bulls and goats that were, were being offered for years up until this point of Christ, who is the fulfillment of all the pictures. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread, this bread, and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, I don't know, before we pass these out, I just wanted to take to heart a little bit, as I myself must, that our forgiveness, our salvation, our freedom from sin, our hope of a future eternal destiny with God forever and ever is solely given to us through what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. Whatever sin there might be, whatever things the Holy Spirit's been putting on your heart this morning as we're talking through the Word, whatever that might be, there is no other place to find God's forgiveness than at the cross and His blood shed for you. So would you bow your heads along with me in our hearts and just take right now a little inventory of your life. And God in his love puts his finger on places that he wants to not only forgive, but in forgiving, heal. By his stripes, we are healed. By the blood of Jesus, we are reconciled to God through faith in him. God did it all. We, when we receive it all, we are forgiven, saved, and secure through what Jesus did. So, Lord, we want to take these two emblems. And by the way, we have these. They're just one cup uh, because of the, all the virus. So this, this, yeah, anyway. Well, as we take these and hold them, and I want to encourage you and myself, as we take them and hold them, as we worship in song, Let's take our hearts to the Lord and say, Lord, please, 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 please. Let us wait patiently for you in these matters we've talked a little bit about this morning. And let us take to heart your word and let us take to heart the things that you've given to us, the good things that are loaded in all these parables, the good things that you've given to us. And I pray and we ask, Lord, please, use us as your instrument of goodness in a world that's going bad. And help us, Lord, now as we come to you in, for, in repentance and forgiveness to receive from you the only one who can forgive, the only one who can cleanse, the only one who can make righteous, the only one who can fill us with the Spirit and lead us in paths of righteousness, righteousness for your name's sake. Please, Lord, that's our prayer as we take communion together in Jesus' name. So let's take the emblems and worship him.